Hey, Brock, how are you? Doing well, John. How are you? Pretty good. I'm getting a haircut on Friday. I want to talk to you about that. Uh, you did a watch video, and coincidentally, I found a, a Hamilton khaki online yesterday, and then we'll talk to um, the founder of Woolen Prince, Mac Bishop, at the end of that. Sounds good. What kind of haircut are you getting? Well, I want to know. I mean, if we're going short hair, I'll go short hair. It's It becomes untenable. It, right now, it's at like a medium length. If I pull it down, it's to like my lips, almost to my chin. I mean, it, it gets long, and it's mm. and it's not summer friendly. And uh, so I'm thinking I might just cut a lot of it off. So it's uh, right now you have it a little bit shorter on the sides and the back, and then on like the longest point, like the top front, is like mouth length about. Yeah, I like your short and messy thing you did. I mean, it's, it's I I end up using a lot of product with the longer hair, which not just from a cleaning, like washing it out standpoint, but then I end up going through a lot more product at the same time. Yeah, I think with longer hair, the the one major benefit that I see is you can go for longer between haircuts because it's not a big deal if, you know, if it's six inches on the top and you let it go to eight inches, it's not really that big of a deal, especially if the sides were already super short. But with short haircuts, you know, you have to get it, you have to get it cut every three to four weeks <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, otherwise, like with the haircut I have, if it grows just a half inch or an inch, it looks pretty sloppy. It's kind of hard to do anything with. So, but I think it's kind of cool. I don't know. I think, I think it's good to change things up every now and then, especially, you know, when it gets hotter outside. Yeah. I don't think I've had like short hair on the top for maybe three years. So I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, you should do it. <laughs> Plus, you can try out like all the, you, know, you can try out different products that you can't really uh, try with longer hair, you know. Yeah, I've got some of the, the, I got some like putties and clays I wanted to try, but just not, not with this mop. Oh, speaking of which, you've tried Hansa Fuka, right? You've done some reviews. Yeah. And and what did you think? I really liked the claymation that I got from them. My hair, it was my hair was like, it was pretty long at that point, but I really like. I think just personally, I like when my hair is uh, formed to a shape and it stays there and I don't have to worry about it. And a lot of the product that I use does that. I have other stuff. Uh, you know, They have different hold levels and I really like the claymation, which I think is the strongest hold and a matte finish. But uh, I really I like the smell of it. I, you know, it's a lot of this stuff is pricier than what you would pick up at like a grocery store. But uh, I think mean, I think you're waiting for that to kind of play out with the higher materials. So I, I really like the two. The, the, I'm trying to think of the other the name of the other one that I like. It's a medium hold. Um, Quicksand. No, it's the other one. Um, oh, the uh, sponge wax. Yes. Yes. So uh, the, of the two, I've, of of the three, I think I tried those two. I've been coming back to the most. But I also got that little sampler which has the quicksand. Uh, I know that's that one's. I think might be their popular, most popular. Yeah, apparently you can use that as like uh, dry shampoo, pre-style, or, or just like a normal product. So, yeah, I just tried the Claymation yesterday, uh, which was my first experience with the brands, and I was pretty happy with it. I, it was, uh, I mean, it seems, I think you kind of get what you pay for with, with, for the most part with hair products, and so it seemed it met my expectations for something at that price point. But yeah, I'm still still gotta try out the quicksand and the sponge wax to see how that works on shorter hair. So, 
one of my one of my favorite talking about hair products. If you when you watch um, Aaron Marino's videos and you go down the comments and everybody talks about T. Shanley in the, the comments, I, that always cracks me up. Like the, I was watching his suspender stay or his no not shirt stay, whatever those things are, and in the bottom it said oh, yeah. you should just rub some T. Shanley on the shirt, and keep it tucked in. Oh yeah, and the the T. Shanley the the T. Shanley memes are hilarious. It's funny because now even like. Even on like teaching men's fashion and real men real style, all the comments are just Tej Hamley. <laughs> the other one, the other one was I was watching his when he it was talking about his new car or no 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 it was his Jack Threads video a few weeks ago and at the bottom it was like they should have been using Tej Hamley they wouldn't have went out of business. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so funny. Yeah, I've even had some Tej comments on my on my video. Someone was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I, I heard it's made out of like baby unicorn tears or something (laughs) it's funny though because like that kind of got out of control but i'm sure that's like i'm sure aaron and the other uh guys that run that company are just like yeah that's cool you know (laughs) because you know they're they're just getting so much press yeah and i i just noticed it looks like since the last time we talked to you had thirty thousand subscribers on youtube congratulations oh thanks yeah i had a uh had that one video i don't know i guess youtube just just decided to promote it or something i got a like eight thousand subscribers in the last month, um, nice. and I think it's, I think it started to slow down a little bit more. So, who knows, man? It's it's a uh, it's like black magic. <laughs> We're at the whim of the machines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yesterday, I saw I tweeted at you on Uncrate. It was a a khaki navy Hamilton watch, and I'm pretty sure we talked about Hamiltons in in a previous episode. And I was wondering if you liked that one, or if you had found a new one. Yeah, I, I thought that one looked pretty nice. Um, definitely, I mean, I guess when I think of, you know, Hamilton, I think of like more of a field watch. But, yeah, I like the colors on that one and uh, the diver style. Definitely cool. I mean, I still kind of have my eyes on the the Hamilton um, mechanical. I think it's called the uh, Officer Mechanical, and it's like the uh, the khaki uh, field watch, but it's a, a hand wine only, so it's not an automatic which is kind of cool, but uh, yeah, I'm not really sure about like having to hand wind to watch every day. I think there's something kind of old school and kind of charming about that. Oh, this uh, isn't but, even that expensive. Yeah. How much is it? I I'm on their website now. It says 3.95. What for the new one? Uh, it just says Hamilton khaki mechanical, um, hand winding, 38 millimeter sapphire crystal. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, that that one's not too expensive at all. And you can actually find it on like Long Island Watch or like Joma Shop or something like that for even less. Oh. Why were you looking at a more expensive one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about uh, that's about my price range right now. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe eventually I'll buy a more expensive watch, but did do you have any high-end uh, watches? Well, I was I I shot an unboxing video for I got an award at work and I was able to pick out any one of the Luminox line of watches and I got a diver from them an automatic diver from them which I think retail is 1250 and I've been wearing it it's 45 millimeters it's giant and yeah uh, it's taken some getting used to I'm used to it now I definitely wear it frequently especially around the office it's it's like a thing with my CEO and so I, I definitely wear that as much as I can, but, uh, I don't, you know, 45 millimeter is a big watch. It's not just big from a face standpoint, it's thick and everything. So I'll probably have a video up sometimes next week, but that's definitely now my, my like premier watch. 
Wow, so you so you won an award and, and they gave you that watch. That's that's pretty sweet. Yes, very prestigious in these within these walls. But uh, I've always had my eye. We've talked about it before on like an Omega. Like I want a 1960s era dress Omega with maybe um, a brown leather or a burnished leather um, strap. Something just like that's that's what I've always had my heart set on. And they're not that expensive. I mean. When I typically thought of Amiga before, it was like five or six grand, but you can find some of these vintage watches for less than $2,000, which is a lot for a watch, but I think it's it's a, it's a like an artifact. It's something I definitely want to have to uh, to pass down. Totally, yeah, and those will those will hold their value pretty well, if if not increase in value over time, you know. Right. So I, I think I think that's fine. But, I, you know, the, the cool thing is you can still get into watches that have heritage and that are automatics for – you know, less than fifty dollars. I mean, the Seiko Five. You know, the uh, or this, the SNK uh, eight hundred series, the eight hundred five, eight hundred nine. You know, I think it's like forty five dollars on Amazon, and that's an automatic field watch. I actually got I got the eight hundred five, which is the green one, and I'm trying to figure out what strap to put on it because I, I think the the strap that it comes with is not that great. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm currently hunting for. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that Seiko collecting is like tattoos. It's like you get your first Seiko, and then you just start. You're like, I can get this one. Oh, and I can also get this one, and then this one's pretty cool. And <laughs> so you end up with a lot. Yeah, it it seems like a steal. Like it seems like you're getting too much for the money. <laughs> right. Well, in in the Unwound podcast, I've been listening to the guy on there who has been collecting and servicing for many years said that we're kind of in like a boom right now, and prices are actually up from what they used to be because there are so many people getting into it, which I think is. It's very interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I've only listened to a couple episodes of that. Those guys are awesome. They're they're so uh, they're so passionate about it. it. Just makes you wanna <laughs> wanna get out there and like do some research and find like your birth year Rolex. You know. <laughs> right, right. Or your birth. I mean, their their big thing is the birth year Seiko. But I don't think my birth year Seiko looks. It's not very cool. I mean, definitely the those seventies eighties eras were were much more stylish and iconic. Yeah, unfortunately, can't can't really control. Uh, it's it's kind of like you know, like the Corvette. You know, people want to get the a certain era of Corvette, and it might not be the era that uh you necessarily grew up in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, wait. The last question I had before we kick it over to um, Mac is your thoughts on: Do you have trouble growing facial hair, or can you like just grow out a beard if you want to? Uh, no, I cannot. I cannot grow out a beard. I think the longest I've gone is like a month, and uh. Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't very impressive, so I, I keep it pretty much clean shaven these days. Yeah, because I always struggle with how often I should shave during the week. I, it's not a pain to shave every single day, but I think the clean, clean look. I'm the same way. Like I can't really grow out facial hair, but I think that the stubble look on a lot of guys just isn't. Um, I don't know. It doesn't. I just. I think you should be clean, or you should have the beard, but don't be somewhere in between if you can't do it. Yeah, if you can't do it. I mean, I think if you have, like, really thick hair, like, you can grow a beard, and you keep kind of, like, a stubbly look, I think that can be pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, if, if it's not coming in pretty thick, I don't think the stubbly look. I think it just looks like you forgot to shave, kind of, you know. And I think it, it also depends on your method. I mean, what's what, what's what's your go-to uh, shaving method these days? I use a straight razor. I mean, on the road, I have, um, I have Harry's blades because I can't take my straight razor, but... 
in the mornings, I'll use a straight razor. I'm pretty quick with it. Like I'm not any faster with like a safety razor or anything else than I am with the straight razor, but it's just more of like a, I don't know, just trying to speed up my mornings, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the main person I think of is like Sidney Crosby from the Penguins. I mean, that guy does not have the face for a beard, and during the playoffs, he just looks like a raggedy, uh, just a, a raggedy teenager. Yeah, I I don't know why. I I guess people maybe makes them feel good or like they like the way it looks on them. I mean, I can see, I can see how you gravitate towards that. Like when I was, I I gave mine a shot because I was. I was hanging out with um, Eric Banholtz from Beard Brand, and he was like, he's like a lot of guys just don't know if they can grow a beard because they never actually tried. He's like, you really just have to stop shaving for a couple of months. So I was like, all right, I'll try it, and I stopped for about a month. And yeah, I was like, I, this is kind of cool. Like, I, I it feels kind of manly, I guess, like having some hair on your face, but at the same time, like, not really fooling anybody, you know. <laughs> I definitely look like a teenager. It's also on the top of my mind because my wife keeps begging me to grow a mustache, and I'm telling her I just I, I know that I cannot based on previous times that I've just let my hair grow out for more than a month, and I just don't have the genes for it. But I promised her when we go on our trip at the end of August that I wouldn't shave during the trip so we could see what come, what comes out of it. But I'm not very hopeful. <laughs> That's interesting. So she so she's more into the mustache than like the full mustache beard. Oh yeah, like if I had like a Brett McKay mustache, I think that would that would be it. That's hilarious. That, that's pretty niche, man. Because yeah, I feel like a lot of women have well, women have specific preferences in general about facial hair. You know, like I'm uh I'm lucky that my my girlfriend is is cool with the you know completely shaven look. Um, but yeah, like a lot of women are like no mustache, just beard, only mustache, like full caveman. It's kind of funny how, uh, how how they have those preferences. <laughs> it might also be the case that she doesn't know what it, it would be like for me to have a mustache. So it's like an interesting thing to her. So, all right, I, I can chat all day. We'll, we'll throw it over to Mac Bishop at Wool and Prince. We talk about how he founded his company and a few other cool things. And so we'll throw it over to him. We have Mac Bishop from Wool and Prince. Mac, can we say hi? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mac, you started Wool and Prince, which is specifically about having kind of this new merino wool material uh, in clothing. We want to start off with a little bit of your background and, and how you got here. Yeah, definitely. So I guess I'll start off with, uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon, uh, and then went to college out in New York, upstate New York at Cornell University. And uh, from there, I was studying business, really interested in entrepreneurship, accounting, finance, marketing, basically anything to do with business, and kind of always knew that I wanted to start my own business someday and, and see how it went. So from there, I uh, got a job working at Unilever, a big consumer products company. You know, they own uh, Dove, Axe, Lipton, you know, all, all sorts of brands. You know, you walk down the... Uh, uh, supermarket aisle, and uh, they're basically everywhere. I worked there for about a year and three months, and quickly learned that I wasn't built for the uh, kind of corporate work environment. But while I was there, uh, I was uh, experimenting with uh, the kind of business casual wardrobe. The kind of standard outfit was for guys was a non-iron uh, Brooks Brothers or J. Crew shirt. And I found those to be pretty good shirts, um, but I could only get two to three wears out of them. 
before I had to wash them. Uh, they would pick up an odor. They did a they did a really good job with the wrinkles, but they picked up that odor. And I was kind of a cheap recent grad from college, so I did not like that ten dollar a week uh, dry cleaning bill. So I started experimenting with some vintage wool shirts, and they weren't quite work appropriate. But at that point, I didn't really care, and literally I just stopped doing dry cleaning. Like I I didn't have to wash these shirts, and that was kind of like the aha moment that uh, wool shirts would be perfect uh, in a business casual setting, and really no one was marketing for that. Interesting. So you're taking on the dry cleaners, but also I think you were at, you had some involvement with Pendleton back in your day yes. in Oregon? Yep. So so I tell that story I just told you about um, testing kind of the, the vintage wool shirt being one of the reasons why I started Wool and Prince. And then the other reason is uh, my family owns Pendleton Wool and Mills. You know, it's a private company here in Portland, Oregon. My, my dad works there with his three cousins. I had a cousin work there. So I have been quite familiar with uh, wool uh, since since a very young age. I see that because that would be my biggest bridge is how do you go from – because I definitely have those slightly stinky uh, Brooks Brothers dress shirts, and I would – I never even would have thought of wool. Yeah, it was – it was something that no one was really doing. You know, there was on the market, there was a lot of just kind of outdoorsy technical wool product. You've got Icebreaker, Smart Wool. Those were the big names. You know, when you wear that, it's great product, but when you wear it, you look like you're going camping or hiking. And I guess the simplest way to describe what Wool and Prince is doing is, you know, taking that dedication to wool that Icebreaker and uh, Smart Wool have, but then combining that with uh, the timeless style of, let's say, J. Crew, and really creating apparel highly technical, made from the best fabrics in the world that you can wear into work. And then you can also wear on the weekends, whether you're going hiking, camping, that kind of thing. But really, the primary use is everyday use on your job. I see. So as you're at Unilever, what kind of what's the starting point of you say, I'm going to go, try and source some of these shirts myself instead of just looking for vintage? Yeah, so let's see, the, the kind of timeline was like I quit Unilever. I was working on another business at the time. Uh, it was an online art gallery, and um, so I wanted to wanted to give that a shot and then also incubate the idea for Woolman Prince, and it ended up that the, um, the Woolman Prince idea kind of took off once once we launched on Kickstarter. Cool. So you started on Kickstarter. It, at that point, had you sourced products and, and knew you could kind of build a business, or was that testing out yeah. the idea? Yeah, that was that was testing out the idea and sourcing product. You know, with a lot of Kickstarters, it's kind of a proof of concept and MVP for, for startups. We had some prototypes in the works. We were testing basically every wool shirt on the market, figuring out what we liked, what we didn't like, and just getting a better understanding for... Uh, what the consumers wanted. So we we actually, I'm trying to think of when we had our prototype. I think we had our final prototype like, you know, maybe a couple weeks after the Kickstarter finished. So we were, we were promising a lot and uh, it was, it was quite a nerve wracking time because, you know, the media was, was talking about, you know, the inventor of a new fabric. It's amazing. It doesn't smell. And, I was kind of like, no, no, no. This is just this is just wool marketed in a different way. You know, the way I launched the Kickstarter was I wore a wool shirt for 100 days in a row, and that that really went viral and through the traditional media for for a loop. So um, we benefited greatly from that. But we ended up 
cutting our Kickstarter off because it got so crazy. We sold 3,000 shirts in 10 days. I want to say on the last day alone that um, we had our Kickstarter open, we did $90,000 in business. It was, it was, it was kind of ramping up as we shut it off, and then we just put up a, you know, get on, get up, get on the waiting list button on our Kickstarter instead of like, you know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the kind of uh, the, the Kickstarter projects that don't deliver because they have so much success and then everybody gets stressed out and everybody's mad at each other. So we uh, kind of preemptively, yeah, shut it, shut it down. That's very smart. I've got three. I've got three projects that I still haven't gotten fulfilled that I backed like a year ago. So, I mean, yeah. a lot of projects on Kickstarter. Do you think the 100 days of a shirt is really what helped you to stand out? Oh. I mean, I guess yeah. I think there's people on that would listen to this and say, "I've got a great idea for a Kickstarter, but how do you stand out?" Yeah, I hate to say it, but the gimmicky nature of the 100 day challenge uh, is really what propelled the Kickstarter. We we really. It was loud. It was gimmicky, and we've been since then. We've kind of distanced ourselves from, you know, we could have ran with that hundred-day uh, challenge and really made our brand all about, you know, how long can you wear the shirt for? And um, we still use some of that language, but it's it's not a core tenant of the brand. For yeah, advice out there for uh, Kickstarter people: just uh, you just want to get as much attention as possible. If you can do that in a non-gimmicky way, fantastic. Um, but normally it seems like on Kickstarter and even today, you know, it's, it's a different era on Kickstarter from when, you know, we launched Woolen Prince on Kickstarter in 2000, what was it, 13, yeah. Um, it's just a lot more crowded and th there's now entire companies out there that, you know, are, are, are helping people launching Kickstarters gain traction. And that wasn't really a thing when, when we launched. I mean, it helps you had a great product or a great concept to back up uh, what you were really trying to promote. So now, like, what's what's the step for you? Are you going to Asia to source these mm -hmm. clothes, or I mean, what's what's your first step? Then you you're starting to get your prototypes, and and then how are you taking that to the next level? Yeah, so I actually had a really good sourcing contact, and and uh, you know, I think a lot of times people are worried about sourcing uh, internationally and you know there's language barriers, cultural differences, those kind of things. Through my relationship with Pendleton and uh, some of their contacts overseas, uh, I was able to right off the bat have a really good relationship, a trusted relationship with a um, with an agent over there who works with you know world-class factories and, and mills. Um, so yeah, from that standpoint I was very, very lucky uh, to have that. Now, I also read your founder's blog. I think it's really cool that you're very transparent about kind of building this company and, and going out there. So what was the start of the founder's blog as you were making that progress? Yeah, so the start of it was I, I really like um, what some companies are doing, just being more transparent with their customers, treating their customers like people instead of like you know, numbers on a chart, right? And and talking to them in a personal way and, and, and uh, just having some personality with um, with the brand. So I, I've been seeing companies doing a little bit more of that, uh, just being open. And then uh, when, I, when I moved from New York City back to Portland, Oregon two years ago, I wanted to keep in contact with a lot of my New York City friends and uh, professional contacts and update them on what was going on in my life and what was going on with Wolverine Prince. So I started writing just an email update, maybe to, I don't know, 30 or 40 people. And then I was spending so much time on it and, and enjoying the, um, 
conversation with my friends that, that happened after I sent out this update that I was thinking to myself, like, this would be really cool uh, for the business. And um, the first one we sent out was was a hit. You know, we sent it out to our entire newsletter, and I think there's maybe maybe over 100 comments on it. And from that point on, I was I was hooked. I've had customers say, having or feeling like I, I know who's behind the company and knowing who's benefiting from my purchase makes me a lot more likely to purchase from that company. So it, it's really cool to develop a relationship with the uh, customer base in a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know if you want to call it an intimate setting. Yeah, right. It's, it's right there in the open. It's, uh, everybody can read it. You know, some, sometimes we get negative comments on it, and I just, I've got to be um, open and transparent about the negative stuff too. You know, the positive stuff's great. You know, every once in a while we have a customer who's disappointed, and they'll, they'll voice that on the, uh, on the founders blog. And so we have to address that. That's great. I think your story really exemplifies what I think is coming in the shift. You know, as you look at a lot of what's going on in retail now, is you've got these huge companies. Even you could even take Jake Room, Brooks Brothers, that are faceless and and uh, kind of unassuming, and then it's going to move to these more boutique, very personal type of brands. And those are the ones that we as consumers really feel like we connect with, and that's who we want to support. But uh, I think that's really cool. Yeah, Mac, I wanted to ask, um, I guess, a comment and a question. I love how you guys, at least on some of your shirts, you show your model and you give your models specs, you know, weight and height. And then you also give an alternate view of what they would look like, you know, in a large if they're wearing a medium in the main photo, which I haven't really seen that anywhere else. And I think that's kind of brilliant. Um, what, what was behind that? Was that just your idea or how'd that happen? Um, well, thank you. Yeah, it was just kind of a random thing, and it might be because I am between sizes. I'm between a medium and a large in woolen prints and other brands. So I've struggled with, do I get the medium, do I get the large? And I still today, yeah, uh, depending on the situation, if I'm looking for a more casual look, I prefer large slim. If I'm looking for like a really trim, tucked-in, business casual look, I prefer the medium slim. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think it, it probably came from just kind of personal experience being in between sizes and, um, yeah, it's strange that more people don't do that. I guess they just, they think, okay, like if they see, you know, companies think if, if our customer sees, you know, this, this guy in a medium shirt, they can imagine what it looks like in a large, but really they can't like, that's pretty tough. You know, I think, I think the people in the apparel industry can imagine like, what going from a medium to a large is like, but for customers, that's that's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it is very tough for customers, and it's funny because it's such a simple, easy thing to do. Just you know, take take an extra set of photos with a different size, and it's so helpful because I I feel like there's all these um there's all these ways now that retailers are trying to you know lower the return rate by helping people find the mm -hmm. right size using algorithms and you know all these things but it's like just showing people what it looks like and telling you how uh, you know what kind of body type the model has mm -hmm. I even think taking it a step further you could have you know you or anybody could have uh, different sized models you know wearing the same shirt because um, yeah. it tends to always be that that you know one 176 foot um, wearing a medium yeah, yeah exactly that the perfect body yeah, no, I, I've, I've been playing around with some ideas. So on our, on our field tester section of the website where we feature guys that inspire us, one of the things that we've started doing is uh, basically listing out their height and weight at the end 
of the feature so and, and the size that they wear or the prefer. The problem is that's like tucked away in each field test or interview at the very bottom. But I think it'd be pretty pretty cool to basically build like a field tester size guide page where you just have like a little picture of each guy wearing one of the button downs or wearing a t-shirt and uh, you know give their height and weight because we've had all different you know sizes of, of field testers. What is the background on the field tester program? Is that your idea or did people say, hey, we want to test this stuff for you? Well, it kind of it, it it originated with the Kickstarter and and testing the various wool shirts on the market. So I enlisted maybe ten to fifteen buddies or friends of buddies, that kind of thing, to just try out wool shirts in the business casual setting. And I think I was calling them testers, maybe not field testers, some, some sort of testers um, back in 2013. And um, I don't know, I really liked that idea and it resonated with, with um, customers. So, you know, I wasn't telling the story of any of these guys. I was just getting feedback from them. I was trying to figure out the branding strategy behind Woolen Prince and how does, how does the Woolen Prince brand live and breathe. And uh, we started experimenting with the field testers in a very kind of MVP type product, you know, we invested. But the big investment was into photography. And once we saw, once we hired a good photographer and realized, oh my gosh, like getting photos of real dudes in our clothes, like that's fantastic. And then if we add that with a, a Q&A that really gets into, you know, looking at their career and uh, the different decisions they've made to get there and what they enjoy in life, that's something really powerful to create the character of the Woman Prince brand. Have you run into any challenges like growing this thing or production? I, what are some of the learnings you've had over the last three, four years? Yeah. It's like every day um, there's a learning or a failure or a, oh, I could have done that better kind of thing. You know, everything from the smallest production details on, you know, the boxer brief, you know, going, going through, I don't know how many samples to get, to get the fit just right. And literally, I measure, I, I, my girlfriend jokes that she, she can never sit down around a table and just measure underwear for like half a day. <laughs> you know, making sure that it's on spec and figuring out, okay, the back rise versus the front rise and those kind of small details where it's like, oh my God, like I'm so in over my head, but I, I have to learn this to make a good product uh, versus kind of like the high level stuff of, of growing, growing a team. That's something that I'm really focused on right now is um, how to build up the Woolen Prince team. I originally started with two full-time employees and realized quickly realized that you know, uh, growing a business without a lot of cash and paying New York City salaries is, is, is basically impossible. Uh, so, so right now, today, there's a, I have a part-time guy in New York who does an incredible job. Uh, we've just brought on another a part-time guy here in Oregon, and then I've worked with a lot of freelancers um, in the design world, and, and really, it's it's been an amazing experience working with talented freelancers um, who you know have a side hustle or this is their main their main gig. But at this point, I need dedicated resources, and that's what I'm really focused on building up kind of a internal infrastructure for Woman Prince. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find, uh, have you had any challenges to communicate the benefits of boxers and underwear that are made of wool to people? Because people give me a stink eye when I tell them. 
Yeah, it's, um, I would say, yeah, there's kind of like an initial like surprise factor there. And that's actually one of the reasons why we did Boxer Briefs um, as one of our first products. We, we, we're, we're not, I'm not, I didn't want to make a wool sweater. Everybody makes a wool sweater. I wanted to do the things that people weren't making out of wool. So, you know, wool button down. There are people doing a wool t-shirt, but like that's still unusual for people to be like, oh my god, wool t-shirt. Um, and wool boxers are probably the ultimate kind of surprise. Oh my god, like you'd wear wool in your undergarments? Like that's crazy. Um, but it's actually, you know, I've been wearing wool underwear since we, you know, two, two and a half years ago, and they're, they're amazing. They, uh, in terms of kind of, I like to use the word climate controlling, and especially our, our first underwear, uh, the tagline was uh, when we came out with them two years ago is climate control where it counts. You know, I think people think like you're going to get hot and sweaty and it's going to get gross, but really the wool is an, an, an incredibly breathable fiber absorbing moisture and pulling the moisture away from your body and then uh, kind of releasing that into the environment. And then in terms of, I don't like using the word self-cleaning, but odor resistant, they just don't get gross like a you know, cotton pair of underwear. Um, so when you're traveling, whatever, you can sink wash them, you can air dry them, you can wear them multiple days. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm currently in the midst of a, uh, a year, so I did the 100 day challenge, and I'm currently in the midst of a, uh, a year long minimalist concept of actually coming up and I'm gonna hit a year in uh, I think six days, six or seven days. So I'll be releasing more information about that and basically with the underwear, I, I use three underwear through the entire year. I, I did wash them, but uh, yeah, anyways, the, they're incredible. If you don't have a pair of wool underwear, you should try it out. <laughs> I agree. That's been my experience as well. So uh, you're building a team. You've got your product. What are you What are you excited about for the most in 2017? I think just you know launching launching new products, expanding the line is something that really gets me excited, and being able to get more wool product into the hands of guys. Um, I, I think probably even something that I'm more excited about than specifics of launching new products and growing the line is it's more of an education thing like helping guys realize they don't need a ton of clothes to build an amazing wardrobe and that they can reuse clothing you know they don't have to throw it in the laundry basket every time after they wear it um, so it's really about kind of reducing the footprint of a guy's wardrobe is something that I'm really thinking about and we haven't really talked a whole lot about with the brand uh, recently but um or in the past, but it, it's, it's moving in that direction that a lot of our customers are really excited about putting back on how many shirts they own. You know, you, you go into some guy's closet and he's got 25, 30 shirts and he's wearing maybe five to 10 of them consistently. So I see Mullen Prince as a vehicle that communicate that, that message. Great. Well, I like that. I'm the, I'm the same way. So we can check you out at WoolenPrince.com. I would encourage you to read the founder's blog i like keeping up with that especially as you've been just describing you know some of your travels you know you were in asia recently and just building the business from there thanks guys yeah i really enjoyed it thanks mac thank you for listening to the buttoned up podcast a collaboration between john shanahan of the cavalier and brock mcgoff of modest man and we will see you next week